Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So good to see everyone. And can we thank our worship team for leading us in a tremendous set? So grateful for them. And uh, welcome here. I want to welcome everybody who's online. And welcome to August. It's August, right? This is the last week of no school, right? So uh, kids are freaked out. Parents are all excited. No, that's not necessarily true. It's a kind of a bittersweet deal. But um, yeah, welcome to August. I mean, it's going to be fall before long. You can feel the coolness in the air. Can you feel it out there? Yeah, stuff is coming. And, uh, and uh, that's not true, but here is what is true. And I want to encourage you to get your notes out, and we're going to jump right in uh, this morning. Here's what always happens around Community of Hope in August. We take an opportunity to spend a moment, spend a week or two or so, talking about the value of friendship and the value of community. How many of you would say, by the show of your hands, you would admit, I, I wish that I had more friends? Some of you would say, I wish some of my friends were better friends. Okay, so put, put some of you got two hands up. That's not necessarily a good thing. Um, yeah, and so we take time in August to talk about friendship and community. And we challenge you every year to uh, resist what I have come to term as the gravitational pull toward isolation and aloneness. Now, if you're not aware of this, when you leave these doors in just a few moments, you go through those doors, you embark back, back out into a community, you're going to enter into a community that is um, uh, increasingly more and more anxious, angry, isolated, and alone. Have you figured that out? That is what's going on. That's what you're going to embrace when you go through these doors in a few moments. And one of the wonderful joys of the Christian experience Uh, And one of the deep embedded truths of the Christian experience is that we don't have to live life that way. In fact, what we try to say every year is simply this, life is not a solo sport. Would you say that with me? Life is not a solo sport. Let's let's all say it. Ready? Go. Life is not a solo sport. And so we're going to talk about this. Years ago when Beth and I were starting the church and we were we were dreaming. Every now and again, I'll refer back to the dreams that we had that it's so fun to see many of them come into reality. Not all of them, but many of them come into reality. And one of the things that we always uh, remember dreaming about is dreaming about a church that would... Um, embrace the idea, embrace the value of biblical community. That there was this kind of notion that was uh, embedded in the pages of Holy Scripture. And so we came up with some core values. And one of the core values, I think it's number four of our church, you could look it up and test me, see if I'm right. Community of Hope core value number four is we say this big faith is grown in small groups. And there is this kind of idea that is embedded in Scripture and we've been preaching this around. I, I asked Kathy earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said, tell me, if you will, I said, how many people right now do you believe we have uh, connecting in a group in some fashion? And how many years have we been doing this? She said, it's pretty easy. She said, we have almost 1,500 people that are connecting in some sort of biblical community throughout the week. And this is our 15th year to speak about that. Isn't that great? I mean, that's pretty cool. And so we're going to go at that topic and at that idea this morning. And I thought I would begin 
uh, uh, Jess Stafford uh, preached last week, and she started with a test. And can I just say, Jess Stafford preached last week. Was that awesome or what? I saw her husband this morning. He said, you're going to preach after Jess? I thought you'd want to take a break before you did that. <laughs> so I have a nasty gram. I'll send him later. But anyhow, um, so good, girl. That was so good. But I want to say, I thought I'd begin. She started with a test. I'm going to begin with a test. And I want to give you what is referred to as some proverbial sayings. Do you know what a proverbial saying is? You'll get the idea, and I want to see if you can finish these, because I want to talk to you about one, and I'm going to give you a picture of this this morning. So here's a proverbial saying. See if you can finish it. Ready? Go. A stitch in time, a bird in the hand, dead men. That actually isn't a proverbial saying. I just put that in there. Here's one. Don't cry over. Never judge a book. Good things come. Lightning never. Here's one. Mighty oaks. (laughs) I knew it. Mighty oaks from little acorns grow, everybody. But here's the one I wanna I wanna get to. A picture is worth great. And here's the idea that, that I believe is true. That sometimes you can look at a picture, you can look at an image. And it just says something very powerful to us. Uh, I was thinking about this because uh, we just celebrated a cool event that happened in American history, really world history. And we celebrated 50th uh, year of the man on the moon. I want to show you a picture of that. See if we can do that. There it is. You know what's interesting about that picture? Who is the first man on the moon? Do you know who that is in that picture? That's actually Buzz Aldrin. Do you know Why? Because Neil Armstrong was the one with the camera. <laughs> so everybody sees that picture and they go, oh, there's, there's Neil Armstrong, first person on the moon. That's actually Buzz Aldrin. Here's another one that I love. It's a great picture. You know what that is? Yeah, that's Babe Ruth. And that is, uh, he is there in, in the house that Ruth built on June 13th, 1948 to retire jersey number three, uh, retired in Yankee Stadium. He had passed away less than two months after this picture was taken. And uh, as a lover of baseball, I remember that my, my, my girl and my uh, son-in-law were actually at Yankee Stadium yesterday. Interesting. I'm upset about that. So um, uh, he, he texts me and he goes, oh, she's in her happy place in Yankee Stadium. I said, no, her happy place is SunTrust Park where the Braves play. <laughs> Eric. Anyhow. Okay. All right. Any, anyhow, you got that for free. All right. Here's another picture real quick. We want to show you. Know what that is? Yeah, this is such an iconic picture in American culture. Uh, this happened February 23rd, 1945. This picture has earned a Pulitzer Prize made into a postage stamp and a cast of a 100-ton bronze memorial uh, in Arlington, Virginia. Kind of interesting. But I want to give you a, another picture because a picture is a thousand words. And the thing that I want to focus on this morning isn't isn't a picture because there wasn't equipment for it. But I want to read a verse of Scripture to you, and I want you to understand that this verse of Scripture I'm going to read is the iconic picture of the early church. So if you and I are are ever curious at all about like what, 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 what the early church was actually like, it's embodied in the second chapter of Acts in five verses. 
And there's been more written, more studied, more said, more observed about these five verses in the way that we would all think about the DNA of what a church should aspire to look like. And this picture, I think, is worth even more than a thousand words. And here's how Luke records it. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Think about that for a moment. Lord, would you come by your power and by your grace? And would you say eternal things to us? Uh, Would you let these words live again and breathe again in our human hearts and in this adventure called Community of Hope? to your praise and to your glory alone. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Can you imagine the feelings uh, and the emotions connected to this event? If we know our biblical history right, over a period of 40 days, okay, so Jesus was uh, betrayed, uh, arrested, abused, crucified, buried, third day rose from the dead. And in the period of 40 days after that time, the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people, and God, by His Spirit, gives birth to the church. And you and I today are direct descendants of all that happened in that 40-day period. So ever since that time, God has been fashioning together a people created in his image to impact the world in a way that brings his transformation power to every single thing on the globe. If we we get this right, if we think about this right, that the general idea that so many of us have learned to pray in our prayers, that that whole idea that, Lord, uh, that everything would come true on earth as it is in heaven... Jesus said it would happen through the church. Now, I can tell you as somebody who has sort of the Dakota ring and is on this side of church, I have often wondered, Lord, could you have not come up with a better idea? (laughs) Can I just say that? And uh, I've had the privilege of pastoring other churches where uh, dedicated men of God have come before me, but this is the only church I've ever pastored where nobody came before me so that if anything never really works right, i got to look in the mirror, and I can't really point at anybody else. And every now and again, but here's the thing that I would tell you. The thing that has captivated me and um, challenged me and done more to transform my own broken character into a disciple of Jesus Christ has been my interconnection with the church of the living God over my experience as a follower of Jesus. 
And so there's this powerful thing that's going on. And when you look at these, this idea and you look at this picture, what you begin to notice is that this is truly a picture that is worth a thousand words, but there's all these little snapshots within it that I don't want, I want to make sure you don't miss. And then I want to focus on just one of them this morning that we're going to build out through the series. If you, if you notice, first of all, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. Each one a little snapshot. We, we notice, first of all, in the church, these, these five different things. The first one is spiritual maturity. And I notice it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want you to notice this. We'll put that verse up there. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So if a church is going to be a church, it's got to do these things. I thought this week, how interesting, because this morning, today, in just a few moments, by the time we're done, we will have done all four of these things. So pretty good, right? All four of these things we're going to do before we're done this morning. And I think it's kind of interesting that... Um, it says they were devoted to this. There was sort of a passion. There was an a, a emotion around this. And I noticed this. You might want to write this down. That the early church placed an emphasis upon maturity in the faith, not longevity around the faith. I want to say for every one of us to understand, there is a huge difference between developing our own maturity as followers of Jesus and just connecting and being around religious people. The biggest complaint of uh, the church by the unchurched is that we're hypocritical. And, and a lot of times that's largely true because I think the unchurched folks, precious folks, are bumping into people who are around religious things but not growing in their faith. They were committed to spiritual maturity. Now, if you're taking notes, look at this. They were also committed to passionate worship. We find this in Acts chapter 2, verse 43 and 44. We're going to put this on the screen. Everyone is filled with awe, awe, at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Believers were together, had everything in common. They were passionate in their worship. Not just, not just worship, but passionate worship. Awe and everyone's pretty challenging to, to, to me. They had all, all things in common. I remember the first time we had, we had a group just get back from camp. I love it when our students get back from camp. Do you see them dancing over here? It, it was awesome. Some of you should try that. Maybe not. And, um, and I can remember as a follower of Jesus, the first time I went on a mission experience, first time I ever did this. I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about it, come back tonight and hear about Pura Vida. But the first time I went, I went to Haiti. And uh, I was relatively new in my faith, but, but eager to learn. And I got, I got challenged to go to Haiti uh, on, on a whim, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I, I, can, I can go. And, and when I went, it was sort of interesting. Um, uh, every night, we, we, we were building and helping out uh, some of the living, d- difficult living situations there. And every night, uh, we'd come together, and we'd have a worship service. And every single night, we came together with all these precious Haitian brothers and sisters. They would sing together uh, out loud in their own language. They would sing the old hymn, How Great Thou Art. Many of you know it. In fact, let's, let's try it. You know that song? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Pretty good. Step it up. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then they would get to this part right here. 
Then sings my soul, yes, God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Do it again. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're a bunch of white people. (laughs) I'm just saying. We're a bunch of white people with all of our Haitian brothers and sisters. And we would sing that, and then I would would think it would be over. And they would start over. And they sing it again. And then they start over and sing it again. And we'd sing it about 40 times every night. Until, and it was interesting, by the end of the week, something happened in me. And like there's this clarity that comes, and we begin to see, Lord, you are great. You are good. It is good to proclaim your majesty. The earth is telling a story. And i got to be honest with you, I've never sung that hymn the same way again. Especially that part, then sings my soul. Okay. Remember the first time I did that with Beth, she was like, what are you doing right now? And then they're serving, sharing our world and sharing our faith. Acts 2, 45, 47. Let me show you this. Acts 2, 45 and 47. They sold property, possessed, and give to anyone in need. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people. Like everybody outside the church liked the church. Think about that for a moment. Everybody outside the church liked the church. Think about that. And so there's a power in this, but here's the interesting thing. Scholars and historians believe that it's this characteristic manifest for the first time in human history that was so transformative. There are no other examples in history where it shows such large groups of people coming together to express generosity Generosity and show passionate and dedicated concern for other people. In other words, when you see that in our culture, that first began with believers whose lives were transforming. And you know what they say, the grease that holds all that together? It's the one we're talking about in the series, authentic community. The grease that was kind of running through this whole thing is this idea of authentic community, and it happens in this other value. I want to show you this other snapshot. Picture's worth a thousand words. Acts 2, verse 46. Look at this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the rhythm of the church is we meet large, we gather small. We meet large, we gather small. Large enough to celebrate, small enough to care. Large enough to celebrate, small enough to care. This is the value that has transformed the world. This is the value that brings you and I out to Loxahatchee Groves on a Sunday morning. And it's important that we remember this and that we think about it, that part of the way God gets his work done through us 
is by what he does in us. And the most significant part of that is who we have around us. That's so good. I'm going to say it again. Part of the way God gets his work done through us is by what he does in us. And the most significant part of that, uh, of that is who we have around us. And so I want to give you two ideas that we're going to build on through this series. The first one is simply this, and you know it. We, have, we are created with a connection requirement. We are wired for human community. We are not wired for aloneness. We're not. And so we have to understand that part of the way that we have been made uh, is that we've been created with a connection requirement. It goes all the way back to the beginning pages of the Bible, solidified in one of the most profound statements God ever makes about humanity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good, God says, for man to be alone. And here's the idea I want to communicate. We've kind of hijacked that and pulled that over only around marriage. It's not around marriage. It's a pronouncement around life in general. It's not good that we are alone. It's never good that we're just alone all the time. But the problem comes in is we've settled for what I would call crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness. This is kind of a crazy term because all this activity going on around us is that we're moving so fast that we feel like we don't have time to connect relationally anymore. I remember years ago, some of you remember this, I, um, I read about this thing, and I've said this a couple times about the idea in our culture about what they now term, there's a literal term they use in psychological work called hurry sickness. Some of you have heard me talk about that. How many of you have heard me ever mention that? If you don't, here's the idea they, they said about this. We're haunted by a general fear that there's simply not enough hours in the day, what, uh, day to do what needs to be done. So we talk faster, read faster, listen and nod faster to encourage the talker to accelerate. We chafe whenever we have to wait. How many would say it's true? I remember years ago giving some examples. We're at a stoplight. There are two lanes. Each contains a car. We find ourselves guessing on the, upon the make, model, and year of the car, which one will be faster, and we pull behind that car. How many of y'all remember that? At a grocery store, we have the choice between two checkout lines. We find ourselves counting how many people are in the line, multiplying this number by the number of items in the cart, and we get in the right line. If we have really bad hurry sickness, we keep track of the other person we would have been behind. <laughs> now, now you're waking up. And if they get out faster, we feel like a loser. <laughs> a few months ago, Beth and I were, were in getting a few groceries and all of our dates in at the grocery store, I want to say. And we're, we're out on a date. We come back. We go to the grocery store, and we're going to get a few things. We're going to get in the express lane, but we were over the number. How many of you have ever been over the number? And so we're strategizing about that. And my wife, who's practically perfect in every way, <laughs> says we're over the number. And I said, but we're only barely over the number. 
She said, it doesn't matter, we're over the number. And so here we strategized. Let me just ask you if you've ever done this. So here's what we did. We pretend, I said, let's pretend we don't know each other. Let's divide. And we're, and we're doing this. We're trying to pick this stuff up. I thought, nobody will know. And this girl gets right behind us. She goes, hi, Pastor Dale. And I was like, my wife is wanting to kind of fudge on the line. She's in the wrong line. And this is kind of what happens is, yeah, doesn't go well for me. Crowded, crowded loneliness. I want to say, did you hear what Justin Whitmore early said in that video that we started? I don't want you to miss this, so I want to read this to you. He says, this technological life, the one that's designed to set us free, actually enslaves us to meaningless lives of distraction. What if instead we developed habits that pushed us toward lives of meaning and love? Isn't this what we're meant for? Do you know that psychiatrists today are dealing with people in record numbers who are coming with self-diagnosed depression? I want to be very clear in this room. Depression is a real thing. It's a real thing. But what I find is interesting is that psychiatrists are now saying that many are coming to them, record numbers of people, with, watch this, self-diagnosed depression, when at the end of the day they're not depressed, they're lonely. Might be even some of you here. God has fashioned a way out of it. God has wired us for community. He's wired us for relationships. And and many of us are going, I don't have time. Here's what I want to tell you real quick. You don't not have time. You don't not have time. Lord, help us because we need help. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise you, Lord. Just thank you that there's so much purpose, there's so much meaning, there's so much grace in these words. Would you give us the courage in the month of August as we're all beginning to eye what it looks like to settle back into the fall routine? that we would carve out time on our schedules for the kinds of habits that are going to influence and impact our faith and the faith of those around us. Give us the courage to do that, Lord. Let us move what we need to move to make that a reality. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and everyone said, amen. Will you go in His grace, and we'll see you next weekend.